I want to start off with a prayer just to, you know, make ground everybody and um, get our intentions straight. Okay. Lord, thank you for everything that you've given us today. Thank you for creating this moment for us to gather in your name, Lord. We are beginning a, a new journey, a new chapter in our church. We want, we're starting um, a, a, a social justice group, and we're, we're trying to uh, right the wrongs of the world, Lord. We're trying to move towards your light. We're trying to look for your light. We're trying to follow your path. Um, and please guide us and help us um, and be a part of our conversation, Lord, Lord and um, help us in, in whatever way you can. Thank you so much. Amen. Okay, so welcome. Um, this seminar is to introduce everyone, like I said, to the newly formed group, Martha, My Youth for Social Justice. So what we're going to roughly cover today is what is social injustice? Why should we care about it? Um, the motivations behind forming this group and what our intentions for the seminar will look like. Um, and check out this really cool logo, or not really logo, but like, you know, this image that we might, the, that we're using. Um, and it's just super, super badass, I think. <laughs> um, and I wanna first start off by saying all Black Lives Matter. That is where we are starting and that is where we are, you know, just that's that's our that's our that's our starting point. So, women, black women's lives matter. Young young black youth lives matter. Black men's lives matter. Incarcerated men's lives matter. No matter what laws they have broken, no matter what humans do not have, they don't have the right to shed human blood. God created humankind in His own image and in the image of God and in the image of God. So whoever sheds human blood, they will get their reward because God made human beings in his own image, okay? So no matter what, all life is sacred. And I think all the injustice that we have, we have seen in the past month has, has put the world really out of balance. And we're starting to really recognize that, um, and black people have been crying out and, and because they're feeling like their lives don't matter. And the current and historic systemic injustices all over the world has really put the world out of balance. And now more than ever, we do need social justice. Um, social justice is a concept of fair and just relations between an individual and society. So what that means and applying it in terms and internalizing it, it means we value achieving fairness and equality of all outcomes and treatment, recognizing the dignity and equal worth of all human beings and encouraging the self-esteem of all human beings, meeting basic human needs like housing, water, food, maximizing the reduction of inequalities in wealth, income, and life chances, and the participation of all in society, including the most disadvantaged, the most, the, the person on the, uh, the, on the margins of society, they must participate. That is, those are the principles of social justice. And some hard facts, the realities of our world, um, the world's richest 1% have more than twice as much wealth as 6.9 billion people. Um, 
half of humanity is living on less than like six dollars a day um and a lot of majority of the richest one percent are predominantly white men um and so that is an in an a humongous um imbalance and that that, that in itself like the that one percent has over twice as much wealth is astounding um because there are people you know that are crying out for 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 more, more support and they're not it because um the governments are not saying are saying that there's no money um and you know there's a there's a, a lot of systemic issues that you know that people don't understand including you know the economic crisis caused by COVID-19 um and it's estimated that it could the COVID-19 could push over half a billion people into poverty global poverty could increase for the first time since 1990 um and so you know since the pandemic started we really have been in the thick of it and it feels really dark right now it feels um scary out there with the news when you turn on the news there's injustice everywhere there's death everywhere there's you know um we're there's numbers are are, are de death tolls are rising inequality is rising um and it feels like you know there's no uh justice coming and it's scary because our governments you know are are not i it's unclear if they really are looking out for us or not i think is the point and people are not sure of that um this is so i, I and i wanted to include these pictures right because um particularly for canada indigenous people have been suffering Indigenous children account for 7.7% per, 7 .7 of the child population, but make up over 50% of children in the child welfare system. There are more Native children in the child welfare system today than there were at the height of residential schools. And that is scary. During residential schools, children were forcefully taken from their families and put into schools to, to learn and, and um, to assimilate into English culture. And right now, we have more Indigenous children in state care than there were during that time, okay? So we cannot say that colonialism doesn't exist. We cannot say that injustice doesn't exist because we are seeing the repercussions of these systems still to this day. African-Americans are 14% of drug users but make up 50% of people in prison for drug offenses. The chance of a Black male born in 2001 going to prison is 32%, okay? And that's born in 2001. So younger than all of us here, I'm, I think. <laughs> um, and the chance of that, 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 that young man going to prison is 32%, one in three. Um, and Black Americans today, it's estimated that they're dying of COVID-19 at three times the rate of white people. Um, and so these images, Canada stealing Indigenous land at gunpoint, stand with Wet'suwin'. And children um, wearing COVID, like pandemic masks and asking, am I next? These are, I didn't include these images to be, you know, um, <laughs> like, to, I, I included these images because these are the perspectives of 
um, young black kids and indigenous people, okay? And that's what we really have to understand. These young, like black parents and children are genuinely scared that they are next, okay? And indigenous people have been putting up with Canada crouching on their territory territory and land and, and exploiting their land for resources, for oil, um, for over 400 years now, okay? And the, their lands, their rights are being diminished constantly. Um, and there is no sign of it stopping, is what I think the really, the take, like the most important thing to, to take away is that for both of these um, minority groups, there's no, you know, sign of any so real change happening and that's what's really scary um yeah and systemic racism i think what we really have to understand about that is that it impacts um social determinants of health right so um it really does impact racism really does impact employment education healthcare, surveillance criminal justice wealth right um white families hold 90 percent of national wealth um, black families hold 2.6% of it. Um, black drivers are 30% more likely than whites to be pulled over than the, by the police. 67% um, of doctors have unconscious racial bias. So that's just, you know, these are, these are everywhere. Um, and it's really impacting the way black people are able to um, live their lives, right? Um, and a video that really spoke to me um, because you know it was Hassan Minaj's response uh, video uh, to George Floyd and he said um, Asian Americans think that we're not part of the story but we are the scene of the crime. When George Floyd um, it was an Asian cop that was standing by and the people who called the police were, were Arab, right? And so um, we really, really do have to think about um, what part we are in the story. Are we being bystanders? Because all of these lives were taken for innocuous reasons, for, for, for silly reasons that we do all the, thing, all the time, like, you know, going to the store, for eating ice cream, you know, the, some of these people were talking on the phone in their own backyard, shot in their own homes, okay, um, and, and some of these people are children, right, selling, um, you know, selling things on the street, you know, CDs, for example, cigarettes, these are not things that people should be shot and killed for, okay, um, and I'm sure, like, in our youth, a few of us have done all any of these innocuous activities. Adults have done, you know, we, we, these are things that we can relate to and we have to realize that these are people, okay? When we think racism, we have to see these faces. These, these lives are, these lives matter, okay? These people, they matter, right? Um, and that's what we really, really do have to understand. Um, and so now I want to start with, or not start, but, you know, um, take a break for, for a minute to just play a 16 minute excerpt from this video. It's Dr. Darius Daniel. Some of you might be familiar with his work, but um, he had um, put out this um, message specifically after George Floyd um, died. And I thought it was so powerful and I wanted to share it with you all. So we're gonna watch 16 minutes of this um, before moving on.
for the cause and tag a title to this text. I want to talk from this subject in our time together today. The church has left the building. The church has left the building. Vu, I want to interrupt your regularly scheduled worship gathering with this breaking news announcement. You've been crafted and created, customized by your creator to be a catalyst for world change. In other words, your arrival on this earth is not an accident, even if your birth was not intentional on the part of your parents, even if the circumstances were not favorable, even if your relationship with your parents is not pleasant, God intentionally orchestrated your existence on this earth for such a time as this. As Dr. Stevenson says, great men and women are only born at the time they're needed the most. So you were born when you needed to be born. You were born where you needed to be born. You were born the way you needed to be born because God arranged your existence on earth in this period in human history for a reason. It is, it's your purpose, right? Which is the reason for the existence of a thing. It's not the existence of a thing, it's the reason for the existence of a thing, which means that I can be existing and not accomplishing the thing I've been created for. And whenever you get a revelation of what you've been created to do, listen to me, you will see that your purpose is always an answer to some problems that exist in the period in human history that you're a part of. God is that strategic that he creates us, he equips us, he empowers us, he gives us spiritual gifts, natural ability, acquired skill that will be needed for the problems that will exist in the age that we occupy the earth. You are not irrelevant, you are uniquely relevant. You're not just an asset, you are a necessity. You are not deficient. God built you by design. He wired you for your work. He knew the problems that would exist and then created and crafted you with the capabilities and the potential to be able to be an answer to some of the issues on the earth. It's in you. Even if you haven't discovered it yet, it's in you. Even if you don't believe it yet, it's in you. Even if it's dormant and latent, it is in you. There's a you you hadn't met yet that God wants, wants to introduce you to so that he can introduce the problem you've been created to solve to you. Not only do you need to meet Goliath, Goliath needs to meet you. Am I making sense here? Yeah. Your existence is an answer to some problems that will exist in the period in human history in which you were born. We need to understand this. We need to get this in the middle of a pandemic. We need to know we were born for this. That we're surprised by this, but God was not. And you know, I 
think Jesus corroborates this in Matthew chapter five when he says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Jesus is attempting to get us to understand that our existence on earth is to make a contribution to the earth. And if we're going to do that, listen to me, the church has to leave the building. I'm not saying we should abandon church. I'm not saying we should leave the church, but I'm saying our impact is not within the four walls of the church. We can have church in buildings, but we can only be the church in the world. Did you catch that? I'm going to say that again. We can have church in buildings, but we can only be the church in the world. In the church, we get to sing about God's greatness. But in the world, we get to demonstrate God's greatness. In the church, we get to talk about God's love. But in the world, we get to display God's love. In the church, we get to verbally proclaim the gospel. But in the earth, we get to visibly demonstrate the gospel of an ever-loving, ever the living, immutable, unchangeable, omnipotent, omniscient God that can change your life. And I think it's incredibly important to get this, that this world is not our home, but it is our calling. This world is not our ultimate home, but it is our calling. And we've been called to be answers to the issues of our day. Some people incorrectly assume that being answers to the issues of our day is simply relegated to spiritual issues, right? Just sin issues. But when we examine the life of the ultimate world changer, the ultimate change agent, Jesus, we see that he did more than solve sin problems. He solved social problems. He fed the hungry. When a woman was about to be stoned to death because of the misapplication of the law, he intervened. When bad religion was persecuting people, he rescued them. He healed the sick. He released the bound. And he even communicated and, and articulated that it is his expectation that we do the same. He's so serious about this that he says what we do for others, he treats it like we've done it for him. In Matthew chapter number 25, this is what he says. Verse 35, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He says, then the righteous will answer him, hold up, Jesus. Wait a minute. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? I don't, I don't remember that, Jesus. When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you, in, see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, Come on. you did it for me. Come on. This is interesting, family, because for Jesus, it's not 
soul work or social work. For Jesus, it is soul work and social work. For Jesus, watch this, the transformation that we experience internally should produce, should produce a desire to make a difference externally. That, that my relationship with God should change my relationship with God's people. And we've been called, commissioned, and crafted, created to address some of the issues of the era we live in. Born for it, anointed for it, equipped for it, called to it. And one of the issues of our day that is a stain on the clothes of our country is an issue called racism. It is a personal and social sin that inhibits people from experiencing life as God intended. Here's a working definition of it. It is a conscious or unconscious conscious or unconscious sense of superiority based on one's race. See, see that conscious or unconscious piece is incredibly important yeah, 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 because yeah. oftentimes people erroneously assume that I have to be doing something intentionally in order for me to be doing it. When the truth of the matter is we can be doing something unconsciously. And for, and for a believer, it should be a little easier for us to wrap our heads around this because our, our operations manual for humanity, which is the Bible, our creator and designer God, creates an operations manual called the scripture that tells us how life, society, and our life is supposed to work. And this is what it tells us. It tells us your heart is deceitful. Right? Which means that I'm not always aware of what I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I'm sensing, what I'm seeing. I'm, that it's possible that there are things about me that I don't see. Isn't that the beauty of spiritual growth though, right? The beauty of spiritual growth is that I'm not only growing in my relationship with God, I'm not only, not only learning to know God better, I'm learning myself better. We often say, I don't know if you've heard people say this, God knows my heart. Exactly. God does. I don't. <laughs> I think I do, but there are times where I realize I, I don't. And this, this issue here, family, of racism, it devalues the image of God in another person. And it, and it produces the sin of ethnic partiality, which results in something called injustice. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? So, so here it is. A feeling of superiority doesn't adversely affect anybody's life. Right? So we're both walking down the street and someone feels a certain way about another person because of the color of their skin. That doesn't adversely affect their life. The other person doesn't even know what that person is thinking. You know what, you know when it affects their life adversely? When they act upon it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, when it impacts the way a person is treated, when it impacts the way their case is tried, when it impacts the way whether or not they get into the school, when it impacts the way whether or not they get the loan, when it impacts the way whether or not a building will be leased to them, when it impacts the way their children are treated when they're outside of their sight. And what is scary about this is that there are ranges and degrees and the individual can assume that if my degree of my sense of superiority is not extreme and hateful and violent and volatile, then it is not detrimental. Come on. Come on. But it can be subtle. It can be overt. It can be personal. And it can be systemic, structural. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's see, 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 systemic or structural racism is the cumulative effect of racist feelings and beliefs and practices that become embodied and expressed in the policies, in the rules. This is what one writer said, in the policies and the rules and the regulations and the procedures and the expectations and the norms and the assumptions and the guidelines and the plans and the strategies, the objectives, the practices, the values, the standards, the narratives, the histories, the records and the like, which accordingly disadvantage the value race and privilege Disadvantage the devalue race and privilege the value race. This has been a Goliath in our history. And it doesn't mean we hate our country. We actually love our country. Not to address some areas that need to be improved in our country as, uh, because we feel like we hate it is an example of not addressing issues in the marriage because you feel like, uh, you know, well, since my marriage, since I love my marriage, I won't address it. No, I love it so much. I want to make it the best version. I want you to catch this. Love doesn't settle. Love never settles. I'm going to say that one more time. I said love never settles. You know why God's not finished with you? Because love never settles. You know why he hadn't given up on you? Because love never settles. You know why he won't let you settle for less than his best? You know why he won't let you put a period where he puts a comma? Because love never settles. God knows what's in you and he's going to work on you and refine you and reinvent you and restructure you and rebuild you and resurrect you and restore you until you become all you've been created to be. I feel like preaching in the house. Love never settles. And so as the scriptures instruct us to seek the good of the place that God has called us to live in because we love it. We have a commitment to do everything we can to say, let's become the best version of ourselves. This is a Goliath in our country, but I believe God is raising up some Davids who are getting ready to use their slingshot and knock this giant down. I believe there's a generation that says, I am not this or that, I'm this and that. I believe there's a generation that will not judge people by the color of their skin, as Dr. King says, but by the content of their character. I believe there's a generation that will not be divided by cultural categories, by class, by race, by gender. I believe there's a generation that says God has taken all people and is making a people that's going to make a difference in the earth. You may be wondering, okay, Pastor Darius, I hear you. 
But how do we address this? What are we called to do? This is a Goliath of our day. And I know I just wasn't born simply to or exclusively to address this issue. But if it is an issue of my day, I am called to make a contribution to addressing this issue. This is not all I've been called to do. But if it is an issue of. Well, okay, the video is almost over anyway, it's almost over. But he's an amazing speaker, okay? And um, I really encourage everybody to watch the whole video. It's about 40 to 50 minutes, something like that. Um, and oh, he just makes such amazing points and he, he makes so much sense, okay? It's the first, one of the very rare times that I've heard a preacher and you know, I've, I've really connected to, to what he was saying because he was making so much sense. You know, he was really talking about systemic and structural issues and how Jesus specifically addresses them. And he calls us to address them too, right? So um, who is your neighbor, right? Um, is is um, what Dr. Dr. Daniels goes into next when he says, well, what does Jesus tell us to do, right? What, what are we supposed to do? If we are supposed to face the issues of our time, if God is telling us that we are supposed to do this, how, are, how, how do we go about doing that? What are, what are the actions? Who is our neighbor? Who are we supposed to be helping? And the answer is right here in you know, the scriptures, the oldest textbook that we've been given for life, right? Um, and the, one of the first parables that we teach our children, the Good Samaritan, right? And um, I, 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 I love this because it, like, you know, it, the, first, the Good Samaritan really was like one of the first, things that I, first uh, lessons of the Bible that I learned, right? And here we are um, still in our adulthood or young, some of us, you know, in our late adulthood, some of us in our young adulthood, looking and learning these same issues, okay? We are, we, and he's telling us again and again, these lessons that we learned from childhood, these are the same ones that we have to hear again, listen again, okay? Um, so a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own, do own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked the, the, the priest or the expert in the law who asked, you know, who the question, who is your neighbor? And um, he asked them, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Not, you know, sit and listen. What do you think you should do? You know, reflect, go. Action, go and do likewise. Do exactly like the Good Samaritan did and help others, okay? Um, and, oh, and so Dr. Daniels, he, he, he uses this parable and he tells us the tools that we need to help our neighbor, okay? And our neighbor, again, is anybody who needs help. Our neighbor is anybody who needs help, okay? Because um, the Samaritan, we know from the scripture, the, the relations, relationships were tense, right? Um, and um, between the Jews and the Samaritans, you know, the, um, there is evidence that, you know, of 
this is this is a story of, essentially of race relations, right? Um, priests uh, and experts of the law they walk past the man um, who was who was um, you know beaten and and did not did not seek seek to help him, even though they were priests, they were you know religious men, um, expert of the law, you know of religious law, and they did not help him. But the Samaritan, the outsider, he took the time to help the one, uh, someone that he did not know because he saw, he didn't see the origin of the violence, but he saw the outcome. And so the tools we need to help our neighbors, epiphany, we need, you know, to see, we need to see the violence, you know, um, and see the outcome, right? Which is usually, which is usually, at least in our case of Black Lives Matter, broken, bleeding bodies, right? Um, and we don't, we don't understand, so we don't understand why this violence is occurring, how it's occurring, but we are seeing the outcome of it, okay? And those are all those lives that I showed earlier in the slides, but those are the outcomes. Those people are no longer with us, okay? And they had so much potential, so much life, okay? So much to offer the world, and they're gone now, okay? And for, for so many of us, I think George Floyd was that epiphany moment that we, that we, we needed, right? Because we needed our eyes to be wide open. We need, God needed to open our eyes, okay? And seeing, you know, that white cop's knee on, on George Floyd's neck, that's our epiphany. That's when we have to act, okay? The second tool, intentionality. The good Samaritan went out of his way to help others, okay? Um, and he took, he, he, as he traveled, he stopped and he saw this man and he put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He did go out of his way to help the man who needed the help, okay? And so when we talk about intentionality, um, we really do have to think about our conscious and unconscious biases, right? Um, think about what questions are you asking, right? When you're, when you're thinking about these issues, because the questions you ask determine the conclusions that you come to. What glasses are you wearing? What filters do you have on, right? What are your, what are your biases when you're, when you're questioning what the, the violence and the systemic injustices that are going on, okay? How much internalized racism do you hold in, in, in yourself, right? What, what, are you, what judgments are you making on other people, right? Um, when you don't need to be making these judgments at all is the point, especially when people are suffering. And it's very clear that people are suffering right now. We are seeing it all over the news. So there's no denying that. Number three, empathy. Uh, and this is the biggest one because the Good Samaritan empathized without an excuse, you know? He, he just, he didn't know why this man was beaten. He didn't see the origin of the violence. He didn't understand. He just saw the outcome. He saw a broken, bleeding body and he, he empathized. He felt bad for him. He bandaged him. He poured oil and wine. He took care of him because he saw his pain. The man, the, the, the Samaritan saw the man's pain and he said, you know, I, I, I'm able to help you. And the way he did that was through advocacy, which is what we need, which is our next step, right? He used the, the Good Samaritan used his resources, his ability and his influence to make life more equitable for someone else, okay? He used um, his bandages, he used oil and wine, he used his donkey to, for transportation. He gave money to the inkeeper, right? So 
he, he, he told the innkeeper to, to look after him and he, he did all that he could, all that it was under his power to help this man, right? And so we are supposed to do the same. Go and do likewise. These are the lessons that we are learning from our scripture. The very first textbook, right, that we are given, right, when we, when we come into this world, this is the very first book that we, that we come across, right, and that we learn about. And the, the lessons are right here. These are the lessons that we've learned since childhood, and here we are learning them again. And the reason why I think we have to go back to these lessons, right? Think back to our childhood and, and, and figure out what lessons our parents and our loved ones have taught us, right? Because that's what we have to live and, and, and embody because talking to our loved ones about racism, we know, all of us know it's so hard. It's frustrating, um, you know, because our, our parents, our, our elders, um, sometimes they don't understand. They're coming from a different time and a different place. Um, and we are of a different time and a different place and a different land too, right? Most of us are born and brought up here and we're, we're of a different culture where we have black friends. We have, you know, a lot of, may, we may have indigenous friends, some of us, right? And we are witnessing and, under, and seeing violence um, that's impacting our friends and, and their families. And, and it's not, and because of, of where our, our, our families have come from, it's, it's hard for them to understand um, and empathize, right? Um, and I, I um, in, in terms of the whole community, we all know that, they, that our culture, our community, anti-Black racism is deeply embedded in, in, in our culture. And there's no denying that. The way we devalue dark skin, the way we, we say, you know, dark skin is ugly, light skin is beautiful, that stems from internalized anti-Blackness, okay? And that comes from India's colonial history, right? And I think, um, and, 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 and India's caste, and caste, um, casteism, right? And I think we really have to, we need to, to understand where our parents are, where our parents and elders are coming from. And, you know, and, I, and also like our, our friends, whoever might not understand, we need to know our roots, our history and our family's history to properly understand the root cause of anti-Black sentiments in our culture. And I, when I was studying all of this stuff um, first, I didn't understand it at all. But then I started doing some research, right? And um, I asked <laughs> Anulantal actually like what, you know, for some resources because I really, you know, struggled to understand what this perspective was um, because I wasn't raised with it. And I, I mean, I, you know, as <laughs> the household is different than, you know, outside the household, but like the can in Canada and in schools and, you know, I'm just not understanding why, what this is in, you know, this uncomfortableness with anti-blackness where it came from right and um i learned actually you know because i think the contextual history of our people is really important to understand um and so i learned that our our ancestors were tenant farmers uh, under hindus right we had there was an intense class we come from intense class conflict that's where malayalis our people come from right um and we 
as Malayali Christian, we, before, you know, our, our families, they were very hardworking farmers. They, the land, they, they, they worked it. They, it was the most exploitive agriculture work done um, in the area. Um, and for, you know, for, for cultivating rice and, and, and um, going through paddy fields and all of that stuff. And you know they were they were not getting the treatment that they that they deserved, right? They were resentful of the unequal treatment that they were receiving because they were giving so much to the land and and not giving not receiving anything back, right? And so, like our forefathers, like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they were second class citizens, right? And and they turned to and once once the influence of Christianity came. Jesus spoke to them, um, and 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 um, Christianity and and also colonialism um, gave them the leg up in society um, by through education, through um, through 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 the, through the means to rise up in society um, and gain social mobility, right? And so by the 1950s, we rose to be a dominant class, and you know, so we we were able to to use and and mobilize through um through our through these issues but i think what what i'm trying to say is that our, our i think i i believe our families and i i families faced in these same complex and these Name issues that Black people are facing today, and Jesus spoke to our our ancestors, and and they said, you know, and for some reason, this this book it it it, it spoke it it helped them overcome their barriers, right? And they worked hard, and they persisted, and up until now, this is where we are, right? And I think we our families have given us so much, right? <laughs> and they. They give and give and give, and they work hard. They work so hard. Our parents work so hard to give us everything that we need, right? Um, and it's all, I think, what we really have to realize is um, it stems from this history of, you know, all of our people have been working hard um, to get that leg up, to be the, you know, to, to, to prosper. Um, and I think what we have to realize is that when we're climbing this ladder of prosperity, who are we climbing on the backs of, right? Um, because ultimately, um, all of us, I think, right? Um, all people of color all over the world, um, we are looking to, to not be the lowest of the low, right? And right now, at this time in, our, in, in world history, Black people are are in terms of racial hierarchy, the lowest of the low, they are pinned there. Um, and because blackness is seen as ugly, as evil, as criminal, right? Um, and that's also the case in India, right? And so um, when you are a minority, you have to go where the dominant culture is to be successful, right? And I think that's what our families and our ancestors have have tried to do, right? It's it's a survival tactic, right? Um, to look out for each other, to look out for um, their future, their children, their families, right? And I think we are so blessed and lucky because we are able to trace back 
our ancestry and we know where we come from. We know the land, we know the history, we're able to, re to research it, you know, like how lucky am I where I know exactly where my parents come from. I know exactly the land that they were born in, right? Um, and, and where their father and their, you know, and our, their forefathers, like I can, if I, if I um, want to, I can trace my lineage, right? But I think what the most important thing to understand is when you're thinking when you're talking about um black people and indigenous people colonialism has cut off their connection to their history to their family's history they are not able to trace back and 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 figure out their roots right figure out where they come from because that connection was cut off for black people it was literally blacked out right um with a permanent marker because african americans all they know is that they come from the continent of africa africa is such a diverse continent right with with so many cultures and religions and and customs and values right and and they they're not able to all that's all they know that i i come from africa and i don't know who my people are because that connection was cut off um my people were taken on boats forcefully um to to work and to work and 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 they were exploited and you know so i think that we we know our roots and the reason why there's so much systemic injustice that's particularly in impacting vulnerable black and indigenous populations is because colonialism and the the repercussions of colonialism is still to this day cutting off their connections to their ancestry, to their spirituality, and to their customs, right? And they're lost. So people are lost. It's, it's, it's intergenerational trauma, right? And these are all concepts that we will go into, but I think it's really important, I think, to understand where our perspectives are and how we might be able to empathize with them, right? If we understand our own roots and history and realize that they're cut off from that. And that's why there's, you know, I think, so much systemic struggle. Um, and now that, you know, if we have, you know, socioeconomic privileges, when we're part of a dominant culture, it's really easy, I, I think, to not see, to have these blinders on that pre um, prevent us from seeing and experiencing what the minority culture is, is um, experiencing, right? And so it takes intentionality to move forward on, um, on, on these issues. Um, yeah, I, I skipped some slides, so I'm going to go back to these because um, Dr. Darius had told us Jesus does soul work and social work. Um, I think what I what I failed to mention in the beginning was I'm actually a, a social work student, um, and so I think I came came to my my spiritual journey was a bit backwards. I think I did social work first, and then I'm I'm working through my soul work right because for a long time I turned away from Christianity because I was seeing so much violence done in the name of christianity in the name of christ um by christians right in grade 10 i learned about the crusades in and i learned about once i hit university i learned about 
colonialism and how Christianity was used as a tool of colonialism to oppress and and you know have put power over others and and establish superiority over another race right but that's not what our that's not what God is that is not what God intended at all right um and so Jesus said Lord when did we see you or, or Jesus you know this Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink and when did you we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me, okay? So whatever we are doing to the least of our brothers and sisters, we are doing to God. Because every single human being is made in the image of God. Okay, we have, so we have a responsibility to to answer the issues of our day. We've been called to do this work. And the impact of the church, of our church, of the Markama church, should reach, should reach beyond our, our community. And we, we need to act beyond the walls of our church. We have a commitment to do everything we can to become the best version of ourselves. God knows what we are capable of. He knows our hearts, but we don't. Um, he will refine us and rebuild us, restore us until we have become all that we have created to be. And these are Dr. Darius's words. Um, and I, I felt that so strongly because so many of us don't know what to do. We're scared, you know, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to, um, we don't, we, we're scared of not saying the correct things. We're scared, we're scared of, you know, saying the, the, the wrong things that people will judge us, that we don't know enough information we're scared, you know, and we don't think, we don't know if we have the emotional capacity to hold all of this um, in our hearts, but God knows what we're capable of. We don't, but God does. He will refine us and rebuild us and restore us until we have become all that we were created to be. And so I want to recap Dr. Darius's definition of structural racism um, and racism. Racism is unconscious or unconscious or unconscious sense of superiority based on one's race. Um, conscious or unconscious, I think, is the most important takeaway in this definition. Um, because as Dr. Darius says in his, in his lecture, people wrongly assume that they have to be doing something intentionally in order for it to be, ca be called racism, right? But if you are holding hate in your heart in any way, that devalues the image of God in another person. Racism is a personal and social sin that prevents people from experiencing life as God intended, okay? And when people hold unconscious or conscious superiority in their hearts over other people, that cumulative effect is structural racism, okay? So, Structural racism is the cumulative effect of racist feelings, beliefs, and practices that become embodied and expressed in policies, rules, regulations, procedures, expectations, norms, assumptions, guidelines, plans, strategies, objectives, practices, values, standards, narratives, histories, and records. 
all of which continuously disadvantages and devalues the race, de disadvantages the devalued race and privileges, privileges the valued race, okay? And I wanna repeat the, the section I've highlighted in red here. Policies, rules, regulations, procedures, expectations, norms, assumptions, guidelines, plans, strategies, objectives, practices, values, standards, narratives, histories, and records, okay? These are not, you know, internalized or unconscious, you know, I mean, you know, the way, the way black people are devalued is systemic, okay? Because unconscious and conscious sense of superiority has infiltrated all of these systems that structures our society, okay? The policies, rules, regulations, and they are made to be second-class citizens. And so we have to ask ourselves, if my degree of sense of superiority is not explicitly violent or hateful, am I still causing harm? And tell yourself the answer is always yes. Yes, 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 okay? Any sense of superiority you hold over other human beings, God tells us that's wrong. We are all one. And that's right here in, in again, the oldest textbook that we have. I feel this so strongly, this sentiment, that we are a generation of Davids. When Dr. When Dr. Daniel said that, we, I, I thought, yes, that's us. That's some, that's, that is the youth, right? And I think that's why, that's primarily why we wanted to create this space um, because we are a generation of Davids and racism is the Goliath of our day. These are the issues that we have to tackle we have to get our slingshots ready, okay? We have no option, we have no choice, okay? These are, the, these are the issues of our time and we have been crafted and created. We have been born during this time, during the pandemic, okay? During, during structural racism, during you know, continued colonization of indigenous people, during any, like, enormous inequality of, of world and world poverty, okay? These are the issues of our day and we have been crafted and created. We were born exactly the way we were at the time and place to, to fix these issues in whatever way God deems us possible, okay? Um, and I, <laughs> this book, The Ones We've Been Waiting For, How a New Generation of Leaders Will Transform America by Charlotte Alter. Um, I find this book to be absolutely fascinating because um, she shares with us millennial leaders, American millennial leaders. And um, one of them is, I'm a huge fan of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, she is absolutely phenomenal. She is leading with her heart and her soul in the work that she does. She's doing all that she can to care for her community. Um, and I think it's, really up to us is what we have what we have to understand okay we are the ones that have to realize it's our future that we're building okay and it's the future of our children and their children's children it's our legacy that we have to protect and we have to look out for okay and um what i also love about this book is that um she has a chapter in it talking about how Harry Potter has influenced the millennial generation 
so strongly. It is embedded in our in our cultural. Um, it's it's been a cultural phenomenon, and it's embedded in you know our, our psyche almost, right? Um, and I laughed. I laughed when she, when I heard when I when I read that, and and I also I also kind of strongly believe it, right? Because um, I, in speaking from my personal experience. Um, my first degree was English, English literature. Um, and I have always, since I was a little girl, loved reading. I loved stories. I loved storytelling. I loved hearing stories. And these, these series, these, Harry Potter was my absolute favorite. And recently I've been uh, rewatching and rewatching Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. And the reason I think it's important for us to turn back to the lessons of childhood and look at the stories and that we've been consuming as children and they are all they tell us again and again it's the youth who saved the future right um it's harry and his friends and his crew it's ang and his crew it's cora and her crew they're the ones who are tasked with saving the world right to restore balance in the world is ultimately what their task was, right? And we, they, uh, we, they, as they grow, they learn their lessons, and they, they, they have their guidance, they have their teachers, they have the spiritual leaders, right? Um, they're not doing them doing the work by themselves; they're doing it with their crew, right? Their, their friends, their, their, their guides. Um, and I think God also tells us that children are the light, right? In inside all of us, we have the inner light to do this work. Um, and a quote from Avatar that really spoke to me is, the true heart can touch the poison of hatred without being um, harmed. Since begin beginless time, darkness thrives in the void, but always leads to yields to purifying light. Um, and I want to, I want us to watch this this video because um, I think it has some really powerful imagery for what this can look like, right? And so, just um, for some background, um, this is the very end um, of um, Aang. And so, though for those who are not familiar with Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, Aang is um, a little boy who who was raised with um, air nomads and, and he has the power to bend and, and you know, use earth, water, fire, and air, all four elements because he's the avatar. And he, um, the issue that he was facing in his time was um, basically colonialism. Um, that's what the, the show is a metaphor. What, what, that's what the, the, met, the, the metaphor is. Um, the Fire Lord was attempting to take over the world and, and conquer all other nations um, and, and, it was, and put the world out of balance. And this is the final battle. Um, and it's, it's a, it was an intense battle, right? But this is the very end. Um, and I'm just going to play it now. No. I'm not gonna end it like I this. I also to mention, Aang is, I think the most, the biggest takeaway from this video will be, like Aang is a child and he is so pure, okay? Um, because he, he comes from a, an, an, air, an air nomad background where 
Air Nomads are naturally very, very spiritual. And his spiritual teachers have said, all life is sacred. No matter what, you cannot take a life. That is not your calling to do, okay? That is only for God to do. Humans are not supposed to take each other's lives. And so he was feeling so conflicted because everybody around him, even his own past lives and his friends and his guides, they were all telling him he has to kill the fire Lord. But he felt deep, so deeply down to his core, his inner light told him, no, you cannot take a life. And he felt so conflicted. He did not know what to do. Um, and, you know, up, so this is that moment where, you know, he finally has the fire Lord in his mercy and, um, and now we're going to see what he does. Yeah, I, I did. I found that, that imagery extremely powerful because again, to bend another's energy, your own spirit must be unbendable or you will be corrupted and destroyed. It's so easy to be corrupted and destroyed in our material world, in our real world. We know that, we see that, we've experienced that, right? Um, and so First, Tim uh, first Timothy um, verse 412, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity, okay? If your inner light is shining brightly, you will not be corrupted and destroyed. If you stay true to your values, your core being, and what you know to down to your essence, what is right and wrong, you will not be corrupted and destroyed, okay? And I think we have to realize God has given us all different types of resources, ability, and influence. But it's his expectation that whatever amount he's given us, we have to make use of it and, and make life more equitable for others. He, God tells us again and again and again in the Bible that we are the light in the darkness. Um, and this was actually, I think, a little bit part of my spiritual awakening, I guess, because I, 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 I mentioned I, um, you know, that I, I fell away from, I think, my faith because I was seeing so much violence done in the name of Christianity and so much, you know, um, division in my own communities, in my school communities, in my, um, you know, my, my, my Malayali community even, um, so much, you know, ang like, I don't want to see hatred because it's not intentional, but um, ill thought towards others, for example, you know, homophobia and Islamophobia are only some of the, the issues that I think Christianity um, has to deal with. But then once I started, you know, thinking back to the lessons of my childhood and, and the stories that I loved reading and, and watching and hearing, all of them have been about this age old tale of light and darkness and how light will always, always, you know, um, thrive when it's, when it, uh, against darkness, right? Dark, um, it, darkness will yield to purifying light. That's what all of these stories have, um, have taught us. And once I realized that, I realized that actually these are the same lessons that I learned as a child from my Amichi and my Apacha and my parents, right? Um, and my spiritual leaders, my Achins, my uncles, my aunties, they have told, they ha how I've learned these quotations and it's what I had to come back to again um, to, you know, I guess, 
have, have the courage to to face the issues that we're, we're dealing with today. Um, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And particularly for, for Indigenous and Black people today, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. That light is coming. That light is coming. It's gonna get darker and then, you know, we're, it, it's gonna get scarier, but the light is coming. And we have to, and we can also be that light if we let our inner light shine. So, and my favorite quote from um, the Bible is what Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may say your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We can be the light in our, in our community and we are in, intended to lighten, to show others the path, okay? And so the Martoma Youth for Social Justice, our intentions are rooted in, 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 these, in these teachings. Um, and so um, we wanna share with you what these intentions are. We want to host bi-weekly seminar discussions for Martama youth and other Malayali Christians who wish to learn about social justice, justices in the world. All seminars will be rooted within a Christian faith perspective and they will intentionally be intentional about thinking critically about anti-blackness and unpacking some of our own internalized anti-black racism because we all hold it. We all hold judgments, we all hold um, biases and um, to truly you know, walk towards the light and to let our inner light shine very brightly, we need to do that work of unpacking that and thinking critically and reflecting on our own privilege, right? Um, so that's part of that work. Um, and for number four, all seminars will work to unsettle the common thought amongst our community that colonialism made us better. We hear that often, I think, from our elders. And I think it's, 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 there's truth to it, absolutely, because it, it, it gave, you know, or gave our four, our ancestors the tools that they needed, right, to overcome their struggles and, and to gain social mobility and climb that ladder of, of progress, right? And so I'm, you know, I'm so grateful that, that Jesus spoke to my family and, and they heard his words and, and you know, they, because they, they were able to overcome their struggles. And I think we have to, um, do our part, you know, and, and, and do the same for the issues of our time today. Um, the, the, us organizers, we strongly believe it's really important to question and, and think critically about what colonialism has done in, in our history and in our past um, in order to unsettle the foundations of slavery and colonization in the Americas, because the systemic injustices being done on black people specifically, it stems from slavery. Um, mass incarceration is another reiteration of slavery. Um, and we have to think and, and reflect back on history to understand why injustices are happening and 
you know, because we can't, we can't really say anymore that we're, we, we don't know, we don't know what to do. The research is out there. And so we have to do our part and educating ourselves. All seminars will strive to illuminate how structural racism connects to current events, our lives here in Canada, and the wider systems we're all inadvertently a part of. Um, we want to, you know, be able to learn together um, because I think there's, it's really hard to understand some of these concepts and, and issues and so, and how they relate to each other, right? Um, there's a lot of um, confusing systems, like healthcare is, is confusing, the, the prison system is confusing, and, you know, it's it's all it's meant to be confusing i think right because people aren't it's 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 systemic it's systemic the the injustices that we're facing so i, I it's it's not meant to be easily understood right um so i think we're we're gonna try our best to unpack um Every, all of the, the issues that we're facing today and, and, and make those connections, figure out how everything is interconnected. Um, and we'll do that with, with discussions with, uh, and, and, and we'll do it together. And I also wanna say our elder participation is welcome, but this is going to be a youth-led initiative that prioritizes and gives space for youth to speak first, okay? So um, we, we decided, you know, um, we want to include elders in, in these seminars because we don't want to say no to anybody who wants to learn, right? And that's what these seminars are going to be about. Um, it's a space of learning um, and it's a space where you can be um, free and, and open, but also it's, it's a safe space, right? So we need, we, youth have to be, feel comfortable to ask their questions um, without um, worrying that, you know, an, an, an adult will, you know, uh, scold or judge them um, later. So um, we have to, you know, I think, but we have to let everybody participate who wants to learn um, is, yeah, that's really important. And lastly, we will connect intent to action by holding brainstorming sessions that highlight grassroots organizations which support black, indigenous and people of color and we will collectively decide what the best course of action is to help other organizations. So these are our rules per se for the seminars. These are our, um, this is what we're coming to do um, and this is what we wanna work with and, and provide for our community. We wanna you know, do this work together. I think we're all learning, we're all, trying to figure out, you know, and, and understand Black Lives Matter, what they're calling for. There's a lot of, you know, like issues that I think people don't understand, a lot of the history people don't understand, but um, we have all the tools and resources um, needed to explore this together. Um, God has given us all types of resources, ability, and influence, and we all have, you know, different things. We all, you know, are, are, are we shine in different ways, but no matter how we shine, his expectation is, God's expectation of us is that we take care of it, we be a good steward over our talents and our abilities and our influence and our resources by using it to make life more equitable for others, by giving to others, right? So we must love why God gave us what he did more than the material wealth that he provided us, right? And that's, I think, uh, that 
that's um, that, that, that I think is the foundational piece because um, that exposes what really matters to us, right? That exposes whether or not we will speak the truth even as our voice shakes. And my voice has been shaking throughout this, this whole seminar, right? Because I'm nervous, but this, is, this has to be done. Um, and so we have to find not only the light within ourselves, but help our community, right? Help our, help our loved ones um, and, and show them the path to, because the world is going to change, change is coming, the light will prevail. And so I love my community and that's something I deeply inherited from my parents and my family, um, the deep love I have for my community. And so we have to, um, collect our people and, and, and we have to educate ourselves and we have to um, help the most marginalized in all that we can. He, God didn't give us our wealth and influence and resources just for us to enjoy it. He gave it to us to take care of it um, and help his people. So embrace the challenge that we're born for. We were born for this. Um, let your inner light shine and you will not be corrupted. Together we can create the change we want to see in the world, right? God is within us and he is that inner light. Um, and even if we, don't, we didn't create the problem, we don't understand the problem, we still have a responsibility to fix it. Um, and the evidence of, you know, we can turn to our history because this book is also a history of, of God's people, right? It's a, and it tells us exactly what, are the, how, what have been the issues of the past? How do you fix them? Um, and the scripture is full of instances where God fixes our problems even though he didn't create them. This is another instance, systemic racism, structural racism. These, God, didn't, God didn't create them. God didn't tell us, you know, feel superior over other beings because of the color of their skin. Um, but he will help us fix it. He, if we have, to let, we have to let our inner light shine and, and, and move towards the light. <laughs>